because of the tone of the service, I feel like I need to read some scripture before we go into the message. We always quote the verse of scripture in uh, Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17. We generally quote just part of it, but it's quoted many, many times. Where it says, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. That's about all we quote generally. It goes on to say, in every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. But what gives power to that verse is the two verses that precede it. Verse 15 says, Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument of his work. He's talking about weapons here. And I have created the waster to destroy. But somewhere between those two verses, I hear a voice says this, but don't you worry about that because no weapon that is formed against you by the smith, no weapon that they form against you is going to prosper. Don't you worry about it. Don't you fret over it. Get over the anxiety of it because I have built my church upon a rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. See, some of you think all we're supposed to do is resist. No, we're going to tear some things down. We're going to rip some stuff up. We're going to mess the devil's plan up. Uh-huh. That's what we've been equipped for. We're singing the song, This is How I Fight My Battles. I was singing a different chorus. I was singing, This is How I Win My Battles. This is how I win my battles. Praise God. What an awesome God we serve. I know you've been standing for a long time, so let's go to Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If I would have wanted to experience religiosity or ceremony, I would have went somewhere else today. Plenty of places you can get that. Not too many places... Well, they will baptize you in Jesus' name after you repent of your sins. This is one of those places. Not too many places even believe that baptism is essential for salvation. We do. So why do you believe that? Because the apostles believed it. Because that's what they believed and preached. Not only that, we will take those that are baptized and endeavor to see that you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. 
Acts chapter 2, 14 through 16, Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Be men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose. Could I possibly ask you, when is the last time you got drunk on the Holy Ghost? When is the last time that you staggered and stumbled under the power, inspiration, and anointing of the Holy Ghost? They did it. These are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This had been suspended in the prophetic realm for hundreds of years. But Peter says, this day, what you're seeing is that that Joel spoke hundreds of years ago. Wave to somebody. Wave, Pentecostal wave. It's not the, uh, not like you're in a parade. You may be seated. God bless you. There's a song that's out now. Pretty much the words are saying, God, do what you do. Do what you do. I have a funny feeling that if we will do what we're supposed to do, God will do what he does. Depending on the time of year that Jesus launched his earthly ministry, I don't believe that we are privy to that precise information, but depending on the time of year that he launched his earthly ministry, he would have celebrated three, possibly four Passovers with his disciples. Each of these Passovers that they celebrated with Jesus Christ would have been, uh, needless to say, would have been wonderful. I don't even know if there is a description that we could use. All of them would have been wonderful, seeing that they're sitting at the table uh, at eating the Passover meal with the true Lamb of God, with the Messiah, with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And even then, I'm not sure they really understood what was happening to them and with them. Of course, the significance and meaning of these Passover celebrations was emphasized, and I cannot stress enough how uh, each one of them would have been an incredible and a memorable experience for each of the 12 disciples. But then we come to the Passover meal that will be the last time that Christ and his disciples will celebrate Passover. Not only that, it will be their last meal together before Jesus Christ would be arrested. He will be tried. He will be scourged. And he will be crucified. It's what we refer to as the Last Supper. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 17, says, Now the first day, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? See, they, they were knowing. They were, it was customary now. We're going we're gonna to gather somewhere, and we're going to celebrate the Passover. And he said, Go into the city to such a man 
and say unto him, Master, the master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. <clears throat> now, having previously eaten Passover meals with their Lord and Christ, the disciples would probably at that time would have had certain expectations about what would occur or about what they were getting ready to do and about how the celebration would go between them and their Lord. What they did not know, however, is that this Passover meal would be different than every other Passover meal that they had eaten with Jesus Christ. And that this Passover meal, there would be things done and things said that would change the very course of the world. I think that uh, we also form certain expectations about what we expect a church service or a worship service to be like or what we will experience in a worship service or a prayer meeting or a church service by past experience. If it hasn't happened before, we probably are not expecting it to happen here. Now tell me that we have not formed those expectations about this service and about God's ability or about God's willingness to, to reach out and do the miraculous and do some incredible things. So instead of basing our expectation on faith and on God's power and on God's potential, we tend to base our expectations on past experiences. So if lightning didn't strike you the last time you were at church, you're probably not expecting it to strike you here today. How sad. God didn't heal me last Sunday. So I guess it's just his will for me to be sick and to live with this pain. The last several times that the disciples ate the Passover with Jesus were nothing short of phenomenal, but it wasn't necessarily life-changing. It was Passover. It was routine. It was ceremony. It was do this, unleavened bread. And there are tens of thousands, perhaps millions of others that are doing exactly the same thing that we are doing. So even though they were great, they were not necessarily life-changing. So those 12 men marched into that room preparing for a Passover meal with Jesus Christ. And little did they know that that night would change the course of their life. Praise God. They kept going back. And they kept going back. And they kept celebrating. They kept going back. And they kept celebrating. Until they finally came to a place, came to the day when they would experience the most powerful, most illuminating, most fearful eight hours 
of their lives when they were alone with Jesus Christ. So I ask you to begin to think along this line. We have been to thousands of church services and prayer meetings and camp meetings and conferences and the, the line is almost endless how many services we have been in with God. But I ask you, could this be the day when God comes down in this place and changes the course of your life? I know you've carried your pain and your infirmity and your body perhaps for decades, but could this be the day? Could this be the service? Could this, this be the time and the place when God says, I'm going to take that from you. I'm going to lift that off of you. I'm going to relieve you of that. You've been faithful in spite of it. You've been true to me in spite of it. Could this be the day that God looks down and says, I've heard your cry, and I'm not going to let you carry that home. I'm going to lift that off of you. I'm here today to ask you, could this be that day? Could this be the day that God answers something you've been praying about for a long, long time? Could this be the day when the door finally opens and makes a way for you to enter into a deeper dimension of the Holy Ghost? Could this be the day that you receive that greater anointing I'm not talking about a blessing. I'm not talking about a jolt in the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about something that will be with you for the rest of your life. In fact, how do you know who told you that this would not be the day? Who told you not to expect it? Who told you to go into church today and expect the same old, same old? and the same routine, and the same ceremony. Who told you it won't be any different than it's ever been? I'm here to come against that lying spirit, that lying devil that has bound God's people and has stolen their expectation. When we talk about revival, this is revival. God's reviving his church. God's reviving the faith of his church. God is reviving the power of his church. This could be the day when there is a monumental spiritual shift in your life. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Come on, I'm trying to get you to lift up your heads, lift up your faith, lift up your eyes and believe that God is in this house.
Matthew chapter 9. Two blind men followed Jesus. Have you ever wondered how they did that? How do blind, blind people follow anybody? They were following the conversation and the commotion that was around him. They began to cry out. Now, son of David, have mercy on us. You know, I like that. It's not just have mercy on me. It's not just God breathe on me. It's not just God bless me. Come on, God bless us. Breathe on us. Now, son of David. Oh, that moved him. That moved him. They were speaking with revelation. They could see things that most people couldn't even see with their eyes. And he enters into a house. And these two blind men follow him into the house. And Jesus says to them, believe ye that I am able to do this. They, they didn't humdrum around. They didn't hesitate. They didn't shuffle their feet. They didn't have a, a little conversation on the side and say, can we get back to you? No, they just said, yay, Lord, I believe. So the Bible says as Jesus touched their eyes, he said something to these two men that is revelatory. As he touched their eyes, he says, according to your faith, be it unto you. Now look who is touching them. And nevertheless, he said, it's according to your faith that there's going to be power that will flow out of my hands, out of my fingers, into your body, and will restore the nerves and the cornea and the retina of your eyes and give you to the ability to see according to to your faith. Now there's no question that the power of God is in this place, but if we're going to have miracles, it's going to be according to your faith. Praise God. According to your faith. So Jesus made it clear that that miracle was not just the result of his power to heal but what's the result of their faith. How many times have we heard Lee Stone King make this statement, Jesus is here. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Because he is here, anything is possible. So, if you believe that a lukewarm blessing is exactly what you're going to receive in this service, that's exactly what you're going to receive in this service. If you believe that the Holy Ghost is going to give you that tingle up your spine and the goosebumps will rise up on your arm and the hair on the back of your neck will stand up. If that's all you believe God for, get ready, because that's exactly 
what you're going to get. That's exactly what you're going to receive. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how many angels have marched into this room or how much power God has manifest in this place. You're going to get exactly according to what you believe. Forgive me, Sister Arbogast. I meant to greet you a while ago. She's kind of short and kind of hiding away back there. I didn't see her. So good to have her with us in service. We miss your sidekick just as you do as well. This could be the day that lightning strikes. This could be the day that we will be talking about years from now. This could be that day. How many traditional, uneventful, unmemorable Pentecosts were celebrated before this one unforgettable Pentecost that we read about in Acts chapter 2, where 3,120 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, and while it does not say this, we know that they were baptized as well in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, while the 120 in the upper room, we, we have to give them a certain amount of, of credit because uh, Jesus told around 500 people to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father until they were endued with power from on high. And only 120 out of 500 uh, actually obeyed him. So the 120 are in the upper room, and they have some sense of expectation. They went there with a sense of expectation. They didn't know what was going to happen when they were endued with power. You see, we think we know what's going to happen to us when the power of God comes upon us. We have it already figured out. We have it already prescribed. We have it already planned out exactly how we're going to act when the Holy Ghost moves in the room or in a service or when the Holy Ghost moves upon me or when the Holy Ghost moves on you. But thank God Jesus didn't tell them exactly what to expect. <clears throat> and that's part of our problem. Because our expectation only goes so far. <clears throat> so they had a sense of expectation, but the 3,000 that also received the Holy Ghost went to celebrate the day of Pentecost like they had probably done so many times and nothing happened. There was no manifestation of God. Nobody stood up and preached under the inspiration and power of the Holy Ghost. They heard nobody speaking in the 16 different languages that were represented there. But this day, this would be the day. This is going to be the day, 3,000, that's going to change the course of your life. 
could this be that day for you? Every time God's people gather together to worship in spirit and in truth. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for your anointing, Sister Leslie. You, Sister Leslie, you are the anointed worship leader. You're not just the worship leader. You're the woman, the person God has anointed to lead us into the court of God. Thank you for your anointing and your sensitivity to the Holy Ghost. Every time we gather together to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, every single time, that could be the day that God releases somebody from the bondage of sin. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, 44, again, the kingdom of God is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. <clears throat> There's so many different facets to this, to this short parable. So many different ways to look at this parable, but there's no question that God is trying to tell us something through these words. One of the things that he is telling us here is that there's treasure hidden somewhere in this service. He's trying to tell us now, you because you can't see it and you don't know where it's at or even if it's there, you're not going to reach for it. You're not going to you're not going to strive for it. You're not going to go looking around to see if you can find the treasure. But he's saying you've got to know that every time you come together, there will be a treasure to be found and to be discovered. So I've walked through that field a thousand times. That's why you're not looking for it. That's why you came today with no expectation. That's why you walked into this room. You don't realize that there's something here. If you can find it, it will change your life. That treasure is just waiting for somebody Praise God. It says the man, when he found the treasure, he went and sold everything. He sold everything to get that treasure. Traditional, ceremonial, or let me say casual worship. In all of that, God may warrant a blessing. It may warrant a blessing. But when you realize that there is unspeakable treasure hidden somewhere in the realm of God's presence in this room, you should be willing to do anything to uncover it. This could be that day, saint. This could be the day that the spirit of prophecy comes upon you. And you speak God's word with utterance. And you give direction to somebody or to the congregation. 
This could be the day that something settles down upon you called the gift of faith. And as you walk around praising God and magnifying God, God's virtue flows out of you and people around you just begin to have faith like they've never known before because the gift of faith is operating through your life. This could be the day. I'm trying to open you up to greater possibilities in God. I'm trying for you to see that there's something here for somebody if they're willing to give up everything in order, in order to find it. Praise God. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. Who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. A merchant doesn't find such a pearl every day, but doesn't mean he's not looking for it. He's an expert in quality and density and color in the hues of a pearl. And he's always looking for that one special pearl that's like nothing he has ever seen. Do you realize we have found that pearl? We are in the presence of that pearl right now. And I want you to find him too. By now I know that you understand the gist of what we are preaching to you today. So there's no need for me to build any kind of a theological foundation. Surely you remember the four men who hoisted their sick friend up on a housetop. Remember that? And they tore a hole in the roof and, and they let Jesus, let them, him down to where Jesus was teaching. The question is, why did they choose that particular house? Why that house? Why not go tear this guy's roof up? Why not go tear that guy's roof up? Why pick on this guy? What makes this house so very important? Of course, the reason is obvious. Because Jesus is in that house. They would have gone to almost any length to get their friend in that house. But not if Jesus was not there. To understanding who is among us in this place, what links are you willing to go to to reach him. What links are you willing to go to so that somebody else is touched by him? What links are we willing to go to as a church to see genuine apostolic revival? People lined up to get baptized, string of people across our altar seeking the Holy Ghost. Are you willing to come and pray at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning? So did you have to mention that? Yeah, I'm going to keep mentioning it. I'm going to keep talking about it. You want to know why the worship team is anointed? Because they're here from 8 to 9 to pray. Because they have to practice from 9 to 10. So they come at 8 to pray. Now I know you're anointed with the Holy Ghost. You can speak in tongues and you can feel God's presence. But that's not the anointing I'm preaching about today. 
this could be the day when God gets a hold of your heart. Praise God. Praise God. So you can pose the argument that the way to Jesus is blocked. Now, I really tried, but I just can't get through. We can pose the argument that uh, uh, it's too hard to reach him. It's too hard. It takes too much prayer and, and, and too much commitment and, and too much effort. There's always an argument why we haven't, we haven't reached that dimension or why we haven't received that special anointing. There's always a reason why. So now we can go home with the consolation that if, if I was under better circumstances, if I was in a better situation, Perhaps this could be my day. You know what I think? I think it's time that somebody starts tearing a hole in the roof. I think it's time for somebody to start tearing some things up. There's treasure and there's a pearl of great price waiting to be discovered right here and right now. But only those who are willing to tear a hole in the fabric of impossibility, you must be willing to go to a higher level of praise. You will have to breach standard protocols that are established in every Pentecostal circle. Praise God. This could be the day that somebody shouts out on this side of the church, I'm healed. This could be that somebody over here shouts out, this could be the day you have, you're relieved of that. And you, you just have to let it out, what God has done. I want to release God in this place. I want to release the Holy Ghost in this place. I want to release the gifts of the Spirit in this place so that we begin to operate in the Holy Ghost from one side of this church to the other. And this could be the day. Going too slow, I have to speed up. Acts 9, 1 through 4, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went under the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly fire shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why? persecutest thou me. I know you know the story. But Saul of Tarsus had traveled this particular road to Damascus many times. He knew the way to Damascus. He probably could have closed his eyes and walked this road and entered into the city of Damascus. And while he was making his way there, he had certain intents and a certain reason why he was going to the city of Damascus and it was not going to, it was not going to fare well for the people of God. But this day, this one particular day, 
God met him on the road into Damascus, and what he experienced changed the entire trajectory of his life and the lives of tens of thousands. Why cannot this day be that day for us? Why can this day not be that day? Why do we have to go through another motion? Why do we have to go to another church service? Why cannot this be the day when God will come down and meet with his people and just tear up our plans for tomorrow? Why can't this be that day? Why do we have to follow the well-worn path that we've always walked? Why can't God come down upon us today? I'm preaching to somebody who has been down this path of praise and worship many times. I'm not suggesting we abandon the past or the old landmarks or the old ways. God forbid. But my gosh, we need to start expecting God to meet us on these paths. We need to, we need to start expecting God to manifest his power and his presence. And I want this to be that day. My God, my God. My God, Acts chapter 10, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, the centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house. He was a Gentile. He was not, he was not a proselyte of Judaism, and uh, yet he feared God with all his house. He was a devout man. He gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him Cornelius. And then, of course, you know the rest of the story. By virtue of Luke's record of this event, we know that Cornelius prayed to God always wasn't saved, didn't have the Holy Ghost, he didn't know about Jesus Christ, he certainly was not baptized uh, in any way, shape, or form, but yet he prays always, and Cornelius sees an angel, and I've been in this thing 46, 47, I don't know, I kind of lose track, I have never seen an angel, I've never seen an angel, I'm, I'm sorry, I know you probably have. I have never seen an angel. Not that I haven't wanted to, but I've sensed them and knew they were present, but I have never seen one. Yet Cornelius, here's this guy without the Holy Ghost, and he sees an angel. I'm saying, God, what's up with that? angel said to him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. He literally had built a memorial in heaven. Don't, mean, don't tell me that God does not hear other people's prayers because he does. But this speaks volumes, and I hope it will speak to every faithful prayer warrior and intercessor in our church. And it garners our deepest respect and admiration 
especially for a man who didn't even have the Holy Ghost. He has no idea that God is even listening to his prayers. He has no idea that he has even moved the heart of God at all, much less to the point that God is going to send him an angelic visitor. I don't know about you, but I've never seen an angel. Pardon me, other than my wife. Well, that's my way of getting out of hot water. Thursday night, I, I got in a little hot water, and, you know. But who's to say, this is not the day when some of you look up and see, because I know they're here. Some of you look up and see angelic beings standing in war gear along the wall. Who's to say, this is not the day that God opens somebody's eyes? I remember uh, a number of years ago, Sister Leslie said she saw an angel standing behind me when I was in the pulpit. Man, why didn't you tell me to turn around? Why cannot this be that day? Why cannot this be the day that God opens our eyes to an angelic visitation? Why not? God, if we can just open ourselves up to the possibility. Speaking of angels, Joshua, as far as I can tell from reading the scripture, saw his first angel just prior to uh, his leading the conquest of Jericho. It's in Joshua chapter 5 came to pass in verse 13 when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went unto him and said I, I think this is probably what I would have said art thou for us or for our adversaries are you for us or are you against us because you're really intimidating you're really fearful and he said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come. I want you to understand something right now. You never go to battle alone. You never engage in spiritual warfare without God sending reinforcements at your side. You never bind devils. You never confront the prince of our city, the principalities and powers without God sending Reinforcements to battle with you. My God, you got to understand something. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Okay, what do you have? What would you have me to do? captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua loose thy shoe from off thy foot for the place whereon thou standest is holy and Joshua did so praise God you see Joshua knew that God wanted them to conquer Jericho but he had no clue how 
they were going to do it. And I know that there's people here right now, you're facing some situations. You have no idea how you're going to get through it. You have no idea how you're going to win that battle or how you're going to get through this trial or this tribulation. I'm telling you, this could be the day that God sends you an angel that gives you the means and the way and the strategy that's going to lead you through. Why could this not be that day? Why not expect that of our God? You know he wants you to win the battle, but you don't know how you're going to do it. So this could be the day when God sends you an angelic presence. And when you come out of the spirit of worship and praise, you know exactly how you're going to win that battle. Woo, hallelujah. <laughs> praise God, praise God. Obstacles, come on folks, there's always going to be obstacles and hindrances and mountains and devils and <sighs> praise God, praise God. But I know God wants us to go through and be victorious. The songs we sang today were incredible, weren't they? Praise God, praise God. <sighs> How long has it been? I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand, but I just want you to think, how long has it been since you heard God's voice speaking directly to you? It concerns me if I go for a few days and I don't hear the voice of God uh, speaking to me in prayer. It really bothers me. And the Lord let me know that there's, there would be people here that it's been a long time since you've heard the voice of God. But he also let me know that if you will have faith, this will be the day that I will speak to my children. This will be the day that I will speak to my son and my daughter in the Holy Ghost, and they will know that it's me that is talking to them. They will know that the I am, that I am, is speaking directly to them. My God, my God, my God, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Why not? Why not? Why not? Worship team, would you bring your anointing with you when you come to the platform? I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now. God told me something years ago to say to the church, and I've repeated it many, many times. I believe it needs repeating here today. That God will meet you at the level of your desire. But there's an addendum now that he's placing on that. And it is that God will meet you according to your expectation. What do you expect God to do? Moses was 80 years old. 
I, I really didn't know I was going to say this to you, but the Lord spoke to me a couple of months ago about a message, and I was about 90% finished with it on Thursday, and Friday morning I got up, and I, I just praised it, God, I don't want to preach that. I don't want to preach that Sunday. Will you give me something else to preach? Will you put something else in my soul? I just, just don't want to preach that. And so he did, and he was so kind to, to drop this into my heart. And But this morning he let me know that you're going to preach that message. You're going to preach that message. I said, I know, God, I know. I will. But thank you for, thank you that you gave me something else for today. And what made me think of that is because Moses was 80 years old when he entered into the ministry. Let that sink in. He was 80 years old when he entered into the ministry. Yeah, he was had an appointed destiny from the time he was born. It took him 80 years for him and God to, to get on the same page. Really, it's true. Of course, he had fled from Egypt and he trafficked for 40 years in a desert place. That desert place was atypical to his spiritual condition. It was dry, it was dusty. It was the same. Everything was the same. He knew every rut. He knew every hill. He knew every scrub brush. He didn't need a compass. He didn't need a map. He never had to, like us, ask for directions. And he tended for 40 years to Jethro's flocks. He was far, 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 far from the will of God. He was a long ways from fulfilling his destiny. In fact, he was as far as anybody could possibly get. And yet there was a day when all of that was going to change. There are things that some of you have put on the back burner. But today... God wants you to go get those things. God wants you to go retrieve those things and put them back into your life. What changed for Moses? What was it that changed his destiny and moved him toward fulfilling his destiny? It was a burning bush and a voice that simply said, I am that I am. I am that I am. And so, no matter how far you are from fulfilling God's calling or whatever destiny he has placed upon your life, I'm here to tell you today, God knows exactly where you are. And this could be the day that he pops up in a familiar place and says, hey, I ain't forgot about you. 
This could be the day that callings are renewed and refreshed and people recommit to what God has spoke to you about perhaps many years ago. I have it of the Lord that this could be the day. My God. We could preach to you in the final moments of this service about the pool of Bethesda. There are so many different examples. I had to just narrow it down, cut some down, you know. But we could, we could easily preach about the pool of Bethesda. It was a terraced place that wound down into a pool that was down in this terraced area. And, and who hung out at the pool? Sick people hung out, impotent people, people that were halt and lame and blind and dis, disfigured and deformed. And, and uh, they would go to the pool of Bethesda and they would hang out every single day. Why were they there? Why not stay home in the shade where, where family can tend to you and, and bring you cool water when you're thirsty and, and minister to you uh, when you're hungry? Why have them lay you at the pool of Bethesda in the morning and pick you up at night? Why even do that? For one simple reason, because this could be the day that an angel comes down and troubles the water and I can get in the water and be healed. They went based on sheer possibility. The odds probably weren't that high, weren't that great, but they said this could be the day. Take me again today. But you've been there for, take me again today. I got to go to church again today. This could be the day that God moves and the gift of faith is released and everybody in the room is healed. This could be the day. I've got to be there. I've got to get as close to the water as I can get. I have to be ready when there's the slightest ripple of, uh, upon that pool. I gotta be ready and I, I gotta be prepared. I, I gotta be paying attention. I have to be alert. With the slightest move of God at the pool. My God. Come on, Peter, James, and John. We're gonna go up here. Everybody's gonna stay down here and, and do some stuff, and we're gonna go up here for a while. What are we going up there for? Well, you'll find out. It wasn't, it wasn't unusual for them, God, to take them aside and, and said, okay, no big deal, we'll go. They never said no. But that was a day like no other day. And this could be that day when you see Jesus transformed, transfigured before you. You see, you have to keep talking to God. And you have to keep walking with God. And you have to keep praying to God. And you have to keep worshiping. Because how do you know that tomorrow morning is somewhere in a closet of prayer? Amen. How do you know that that's not going to be the morning that you're going to look up and there is going to be an angel of the Lord standing before you with hands reached out and ready to pour fresh oil upon you? How do you know that it's not going to happen? You don't. You'd stand with me.
Jalen on the Isle of Patmos. They, they, they boiled this man in oil, and I don't know if God protected him to the point that he didn't feel anything, and, but it's very possible that his body was badly burned and disfigured, but he didn't die. He's exiled, separated from family, from brothers and sisters in Christ on an island prison called Patmos. And in his isolation, in, in his experiences and what he'd been through, many of the apostles had already been martyred by now. He could have easily lost all semblance of purpose. He could have easily said, and maybe he did, I don't know, what's the use? Why am I still alive? Why am I still here? Why has God kept me here and brought me to this? And yet when the word of God shines its light upon John in this predicament and situation, we don't find John in despair. We don't find John filled with bitterness or discouragement. We don't find John giving up and throwing in the towel. We find him in a completely different posture. Revelation 1 and 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Didn't have a worship team to lead me there. I didn't have a choir to sing to lead me there. I didn't have somebody to lay hands on me and help me to breach this thing that is on me on the Isle of Patmos. I was there by myself, but when the light of Scripture shines on John, what does it say about him? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I can't go to church. I will bring church to me. And he heard behind him a great voice as of a trumpet. This was after a string of many days and maybe many weeks and many months. But this particular morning, he says, I heard a voice this time. I heard a voice this time. It was like the voice of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first. And the last, I am with you, John. You are not alone. You are not alone on this island. Not alone in your despair, your loneliness. Come on, somebody's getting the message. Not only this could be the day. No, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is that day that God's going to reveal himself to somebody like they've never seen him before. Ah. Come on, this is a day like no other day. 
And I refuse to leave here the way I came in. I refuse to leave here without him, without his anointing on my life, without his voice in my ear, without his spirit in my body. I refuse to leave here without him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, the winds are blowing right now. The mulberry trees that God spoke to David about, there's wind blowing through the mulberry trees of the kingdom of God right now. Something's beginning to move. Something's beginning to capture us. Something's getting a hold of us. Something's being revealed to us. Uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we're not going to run away from it. We're going to move with God's Spirit. We're going to yield to God's Spirit. My God, hallelujah. My God, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I want to open this altar, and while you're coming to pray, you can. You don't have to come, but if you have heard what I preach, and you, if you receive the word from God, you will come. While you're coming, I want you to hear it from John's own words. He saw Jesus like he'd never seen him before. He said, "His head." And his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like on the fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice, his voice was as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I fell, I fell at his feet as dead. This is the day. That God is revealing himself unto his people. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to shut everything down so we can get out of here quickly. No, I don't want to miss it. It is so easy to miss it. It's so easy to miss it. But not today. Not today. 
I want you to cry out to God right now. Come on, cry out to God. The Lord told Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. And that's why I'm in this bush. And that's why I am revealing myself to you, Moses. Come on, God has heard our cry. And he will hear your cry here today. Come on, there is a reviving in the air. Come on, he wants to baptize us, not only with the Holy Ghost, but with fire. Hallelujah. Come on, this is a day of your breakthrough. This is a day of your reviving. This is the day when God's going to order your steps in his word and by your spirit. This is the day when he's going to reveal himself to you in ways you have never seen him before. And you're going to get up from this altar and you're going to walk out of this room. You're not going to be the same. You will never be the same again. You're going to be a new man. You're going to be a new woman. You're going to be a new vessel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, he is hearing your cry. He hears your heartbeat. He knows your desire. He knows what you're hungry for. He knows that you are looking for a treasure that's buried somewhere in this room. And you're determined to find it and to take it home. My God, he knows that you came for the pearl of great price and you're willing God to give up everything in order to find it, in order to possess it. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on, God, reach down right now, God. Hallelujah. My God, my God. Right now, God. Touch 
righteous intercessor in the name of Jesus. Give a little joy in between her tears and her intercession. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, give wisdom to my brother. Give him wisdom of mind. Give him strength of will. Follow you, God. Pave the way before him that will lead to victory and the liberty and the freedom. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Come on, church. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Come on, reveal to this sister. Reveal yourself to this sister in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't quit till you get it. Don't stop till you get it. Don't let up till you get through. Everybody can't own the field, but you can. Everybody can't go home with the pearl, but you can. It is yours. It is yours. It is yours. If you want it bad enough, if you're hungry enough, if you're thirsty enough, Thank you, Lord. 
Come on, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Hallelujah. which he has called you to, brother. There's going to be a thousand things going to get in your way. Amen. But I pray right now for you that your faith will not fail and that God will lead you into the ministry that he has called you to. You will be obedient to that call in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you look for me, my people, you will find me. I am not standing in the shadows of obscurity. I am there to lead you through troubled waters. I'm there to lead you to great victory because I'm God and you are my people. I will not let you fail. I will not let you fall. I will not let you stumble. I will lift you up and I will give you power like you've never known. You will walk in my strength. You will walk in my word and I will fulfill my will among you for this church and for this city.
It would behoove all of us to learn what Paul meant when he said, when I am weak, then am I strong. We all need to learn that, and the only way to really learn it is by experiencing it. So when you get to the end of your rope or you feel like it's the end where you can't go any further, that's where God is going to meet you. That's where you're going to find him. My God. So don't stop before you get there. Don't quit before you get there. Because he's there waiting for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When you begin to expect miracles, you will see miracles. Let me tell you a little story before we leave. Y'all keep, keep on praying. The rest of us can listen. Our brother Morgan told the story one time. Sunday morning, they had a powerful move of God and blew the doors off everything. And God told him to tell the people that tonight God's going to heal every, everybody that's in the building. <clears throat> so that's what he told the people. Night service started. It was deader than their doornail. They couldn't find God no matter what they did. It was dry, barren. So I said, well, God said to have you line up in the front aisle. And said, Might as well line up. So they lined up. And he said, I looked down. He said, oh, my gosh, the first woman in line had multiple sclerosis. And he said, God, why couldn't you send, why couldn't she have a headache or a toothache or something, but multiple sclerosis. The next woman behind her had a serious disease. Well, you know what happened. God started with the woman in front and healed her over multiple sclerosis. Went down the line, healed every one of them. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not by feeling, it's by faith. It's by faith. I'm glad. Pastor, God lets us feel the Holy Ghost when we're preaching. I can't imagine it any other way. Amen. But sometimes when you pray for the sick, you will feel nothing. That doesn't mean that God is not working a miracle. Praise God. Anybody here going to district conference this week? A couple of you. We'll see you in Ocala. God willing. If you don't see us, pray for us. Something went wrong along the way. Amen. But I'm asking God to give me a word while I'm there. And I, I said, you don't need to be nice. Just tell me what you want to tell me. I'm not looking for a pat on the back. If you got to punch me in the face, I'll take that. I just want to hear a word. Right? Amen. Let's stand together. I think we need to pray before we leave this hallowed place and give thanks to God for what he has done. I believe it's changed us. We have been changed. Lift our hands and our voices together. Jesus, with the greatest of praise, we exalt your name. God, with the deepest of gratitude, 
God, we thank you for what we have experienced in this place. We thank you for the alabaster boxes that have been broken. We thank you for the strongholds that have been brought down. We thank you for the saints of God whose faith has been released. They can now believe you, God, for impossible things. We go to our homes, God, blessed, blessed in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you.